The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked John, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I must admit, what a contrast in readings this evening. I mean, you have the first reading from Zephaniah. It's talking about rejoicing. And even Jesus, you know, he, he has this image of, of God having, throwing this big party, okay? And, you know, and, and it says that Jesus is going to be on the mic singing to everyone and joyful for all of the people gathered around him. Because this is the Sunday that we celebrate joy. That's why the candle's pink back there on our Advent wreath. And then you have Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord when? Always, always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice, he said. This is Sunday of joy. And then you come to the opening lines of the gospel reading. You venomous snakes, children of the devil, who warned you to get out of town? What a greeting. Could you imagine? I mean, this guy is, John is certainly not a, one of these slick tele-evangelists, is he? <laughs> not at all. And then he says, you know, don't give me, don't give me that. 
that you all were the children of Abraham. No, no, I don't want to hear that anymore. I don't, I, that's garbage. God is able from these stones around your feet to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. End of sermon. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound too good. And yet, at the end of our gospel reading, it says, with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. So how in the world is this little snippet of John's sermon that Luke records for us, how is that good news? sounds rather disturbing and distressing unless, and this is a big unless, you're willing to listen to the truth or putting it perhaps in medical terms, unless you're willing to listen to the diagnosis and act accordingly. I mean, to be healed, you've got to know you have some ailment, some sickness, something's wrong. And then, after knowing it, you've got to decide if you're going to what? Have the treatment, take the medicine. But it all begins with the diagnosis, doesn't it? Well, in a way, that's exactly the truth, as, as difficult as it can be to hear is in fact not just disturbing, frightening, but it also carries with it the potential for healing. Life-changing for those willing to submit to it and listen to what the Baptist has to say. Because John's message was not just a message of judgment and you're just Gosh, you're terrible people, children of the devil, and we're just going to you know, send you all to hell. No, he's, he's not. What he's, though, waking them up to the reality that the way that they have been living, the way that they have been thinking, the complacency of their lives and all the other stuff going on, you've got to see where you're at. Because John did give a message of hope. There is one coming after me. And he can have the ability to gather you into his barn. There is hope. God is a God of compassion and mercy, and you can have a new start. A brand new start on life. Well, around this time of the year, Christmas, Advent time, one of my favorite things to do is watch a Christmas carol. You know, and I have multiple copies of it. One of my favorites is the Muppets Christmas Carol, okay, just to let you know. But I, I, you know, I just love A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And the reason I also love it is because it's, it's, it's a parable, if you would. It's a parable of the willingness to finally confront the truth about life and change. 
The story begins on Christmas Eve with Scrooge begrudgingly telling Bob Cratchit, his assistant, that he can take Christmas Day off, but that he must come in early the following day to make up lost time and lost revenue. Now, Scrooge had a business partner named Jacob Marley, who had recently died, and when Scrooge goes to his home on Christmas Eve, he is confronted by the ghost of Marley, who appears covered with chains linking together cash boxes and keys and padlocks and ledgers and purses and deeds. All the things that in Marley's life bound him and led to his destruction. Marley warns Ebenezer of the damning consequences of his ways and actions, and he urges Scrooge to repent before it's too late. And of course, Scrooge was having excuses. He thought that Marley was just a figment of his imagination, some bad stuff he ate. He tossed it up. But Marley had some help that night. Three ghosts will visit him. The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And in those ghoulish visitations, Scrooge encounters his entire life. From a young boy going to school to ultimately his grave at the end. trembling. Scrooge nears the end, and he asks the question of the final ghost of Christmas future. Are these the shadow of the things that will be? Or are they the shadow of things that may be? What Scrooge wants to desperately know is, is there a possibility? Can I change my life? Well, for those of you who know the rest of the story, his life is completely changed. Everything about Scrooge is transformed. His transformation from a miserly curmudgeon to a generous, selfless man is incredible, beautiful metaphor of the repentance that John is offering to the congregation that's gathered there on the banks of the Jordan River and to all of us who hear his word this evening. Scrooge responds to the truth with a heartfelt life change. He begins to see everything and everyone differently. And that's what the Baptist is calling us to do. To encounter the Lord, His Word. To encounter sometimes the truths we don't like to see about ourselves. The things we even keep hidden, or try to keep hidden from ourselves. 
but encountering them to recognize them and to seek healing and change. You know, anyone who has cancer wants it found and cut out, dealt with. Or as John would say in his language, you know, spiritual health isn't possible without an axe. You have to cut stuff off. Upon hearing the Baptist's powerful message, what happens to that crowd hearing him? They ask the question, what shall we do? In a way saying, is there a possibility? I mean, gosh, okay, what, what can I do? And then he goes and he says, well, treat other people with respect, be honest, conduct your life with integrity. But John doesn't leave it there. John is just not some moral preacher who's telling us to be kind to one another and to love one another and be honest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a lot of moral preachers out there. There's a lot of people who will tell us, you know, doing all that. No, he, moral imperatives of life. In other words, the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do may be important, but I can tell you what. They don't change anything in your life. I mean, just look at your lives. Do you ever do the things you shouldn't do? Do you ever don't do the things you should do? We hear a lot about moral imperatives, and some of us are weighted down like Jacob Marley with moral imperatives, and we feel terrible about ourselves. You see... I don't need to just hear exhortations of how I should be. How I should act better. I need power from outside of myself to transform my heart. John points me and his congregation and all of us this evening to the coming one, to the Messiah, who, as he said this evening in the gospel, he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. We're told in the gospel of John that when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching him, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's hope. There's change. He's the one who is going to remove our guilt from all the chains that bound the Jacob Marleys of this world. All of them. Through his death on the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God. And it is he who will send the power of the Spirit into those who believe and are baptized into His name. And He is going to give the fire of God's Word that is the lamp unto our feet so that we know how to go in this dark world. Since the earliest times of the liturgies of the church, after the consecration of the bread and wine in which the body and blood of Christ are present there on the altar for us, what do we do but we say the very words of John? 
Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us and give us peace. The peace that Paul said will transform our lives, will guard our lives in Christ Jesus. Pastor Melky, at the conclusion of his great homily last week, and if you get, go on uh, Facebook or you know, listen to it on a podcast, he asked us what things in our life are resisting or impeding God's work of transforming us, making us stubborn, whatever you want to call it. What valleys in our lives need to be filled? What mountains need to be leveled? What crooked ways need to be straightened out? What rough terrain in our lives needs to be smoothed? Well, this evening John points us to Jesus. He points us to the power of the Spirit and the fire of God's Word to accomplish this very thing because we can't do it ourselves. Why don't we just take a moment now of silence to close our eyes and open our hearts and minds and ask the Spirit of God to give us the power to transform us and prepare us to greet him when he comes again.